0: Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. We are going to preview the second half of the Hokies schedule in this podcast, and I was telling Robbie off-air before we started that I'm really excited for this one.
1: Uh, These are the best because there's, there's no real right or wrong answer, but all we can do is try and pick out nuggets that we can get some insight into on the season, so I'm juiced up about it as well. I think we're getting pretty close. SEC media days are going on right now. Ours are in a few weeks, which most journalists think of as the kickoff to the season. So, you know, hat tip to that. That's nice.
0: I know. The season's right around the corner, right around 50 days, a little bit more. And I just can't wait for the games to get started. But I do love making predictions and going over the opposing defenses and seeing seeing what we're going to be up against before we get started, we need a cheers from you
1: i have to I have to give one um let's just go with uh a cheers to um how about just the fan pay, fan base and trying to stay positive uh obviously there's been some dings uh lately on the recruiting front a couple of them probably were suspected some of them not so suspected uh some attrition so you know, it's easy. We're kind of in the summer doldrums of football and it's without anything to see on the field, without seeing productive uh, or seeing, you know, the production from the team. It's hard to judge things. So let's just stay positive, keep uh, on pressing forward and we'll go from there. At the end of the day, we don't know what we're going to be putting out this year. We hope it's you know positive or at least moving in the right direction. So uh, I, I just hope all of us keep our, our, our wits about us. How about that?
0: so they said cheers to not overreacting on twitter that's almost exactly
1: what this cheers is but uh thanks 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 uh, for calling me out
0: that works that works cheers all right we're gonna start with our news and notes as we always do and we'll start with a little bit of good news in that Adonis Alexander and Hushon Gaines, which were our two uh, two of our young studs from spring practice, were charged with marijuana possession right after the spring game. Their sentence ultimately came down to 24 hours of community service and basically a slap on the wrist. I would expect that they'll get a minor suspension from Fuente. Maybe they'll miss the entire Liberty game, maybe a half. But I would expect these guys to be back with the team and practicing and, and ready to go for the season.
1: I agree. I think, yeah, you know, the SEC has set the precedent. I think uh, – I can't remember which team it was. Somebody just had you know four guys busted for marijuana and SEC media days that came out and said that uh, nobody was going to be uh, – Auburn, I think it was, that nobody – Gus Malzahn said nobody was going to be suspended. I, th- I think it may be a game. I think it's probably going to be the Liberty game primarily because it's really the big – kind of i'm not going to say it's a major infraction but it's the first infraction under the fuente era so he may just use it as a platform to to do something that in a game that hopefully you know we all assume shouldn't be that relevant
0: yeah i would i would expect them to be playing in the battle of bristol as both of those guys especially alexander will be a contributor so uh anyway we'll move on to the next item and that's Backup Mike linebacker, Carson Leiden, uh, has informed Tech that he's going to transfer. It's kind of a shame he was out of Florida, and I had a lot of high hopes for him at middle linebacker. And There was even talk last year with how Motu was playing that maybe he would overtake him at some point. But uh, he'll be gone, and I guess that's a bummer. We never really saw him play too much. Uh just depletes a little bit of our depth at linebacker, a position that we're
1: already – not great at it's very thin right there you know i i think there's mixed thoughts on moto in general uh you know he had some good games uh obviously everybody remembers the uh the you know fumble that he picked up for a touchdown so I, I don't know what this means our linebacker core though is thin as hell uh right now and a little bit dangerous so it's never great to lose somebody but um yeah we'll see what happens and best of luck to to him wherever he ends up going
0: next item is the renovation to Merriman the football facility is nearing completion and they posted some instagrams of the progress the uh, I guess it was two days ago on the eleventh of July and it looks awesome. That place is one of the original pieces to the expansion of our football facilities you know, I guess like a decade ago, at this point, maybe longer. And now they're updating it. and in addition to those locker rooms they put in a few years ago, um, we our facilities have just really come together. And if they're not top 15, I definitely think they're top 25 in the country. Next item is uh, the recruiting thing. And you mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, we had a good June. We had two commits on one of the football camp weekends. And then just recently, I felt like we had some momentum going after that. I even put out a tweet like, we're going to have to talk about this recruiting success on the next podcast. And then in July, our top recruit, Taiwan uh decommitted. Uh, he still says tech is the front runner, which is kind of a, a weird thing to say if you're decommitting, but. He nevertheless decommitted and he was our only four star according to Rivals. Uh depending on what ranking on 247 you look at, he was one of the only four stars there too. So it's a loss. And we had uh someone on Twitter, you know, send us a message saying, Yeah, let's let's talk about recruiting and how the in-state recruits, you know, will we want them to stay home and and like the paint the state campaign and like just give us some commentary on that. And I guess it's kind of funny because when Tyron or Tywan Garbutt was had committed, he was saying he was going to get some of his uh, Virginia brothers to commit and this and that, and, <laughs> and then he goes and decommits. So this whole paint the state and keeping these in-state recruits—you know—we thought we were making some headway there, and then you know we lose, you know, our best recruit for now. I, and it's let's—I oh. want you to comment on just the overreaction, maybe a little bit. And,
1: it's it's not so much the overreaction because it, yeah everybody knows that and if you look at all the stats recruiting absolutely does dictate what's going to end up happening but I'll go back to what I originally said when Fuente got hired he was not a he was not a recruiting hire and the fact is go back and if you want to look at. You know, I usually look at twenty four seven if you want to look at rivals, look at what he had in Memphis, and it is a bunch of two and three stars. I think they had one four star during the time that he was recruiting at that you know at, at, at that place, and they knock off an old miss school that beat Alabama, who by the way won the national championship. The fact is is that he does is not building his program around recruiting. I want to see that improve. We all do. We want to keep people in state, especially at a you know seven five seven Hampton Roads area. But that that's not why he was he was brought in. He was brought in because he is a really good coach. He's a you know QB guru to use that phrase, which uses is used probably too much. And the the fact is, wins on the field are what going to dictate our recruiting success right now. People see us as a seven and five team, and top recruits, better or for worse, don't usually go to seven and five teams if they have an opportunity to go somewhere else that aren't blue bloods. Right? Michigan can go seven and five, and they can still pull in top recruits because they've been playing high level football for you know two times, three times as long as we have. So it's just you know, let's wait and see what happens on the field you know you upset you know Tennessee you know you or you upset Notre Dame people will start looking and we'll see what happens on signing day and really it's not i don't think it's about this signing day i think it's about the next one but maybe that's just my opinion
0: yeah and i agree with a lot of what you said we're going to have to see some results on the field before we really see our recruiting swing i know there have been some hot shot guys that go to certain schools and all of a sudden their recruiting classes like vault into the top 10 or top five. And usually there's some shady crap going on when that kind of stuff happens. Uh, IE Hugh freeze, but <laughs> going right after, ultimately it. <laughs> we have, <laughs> we have to be a little bit patient. Um, and, and just in the sense that let's wait until December, let's wait until January. Let's wait until at least signing day before the Twitter rants get started. Like, I even had a little bit of my own on signing day, but at least signing day was over. Let's wait until we get a few games under our belt. Maybe, you know, and we'll see what Fuente's made of when he can show, hey, like, I can do it at at this level too, power five school. And like you were saying before, his development of talent is unquestioned. And his ability to, to recruit in a competitive area, that is going up against all SEC schools in a state that's not rich with talent in Memphis, Tennessee, and he still managed to win. And it took a little bit of time, but he managed to win with much less talented players. Let's let him win here, and let's go from there. We
1: preached patience going into this. We didn't want to be that school that overreacted, so let's just you know, hopefully not be that school that overreacts, especially on on recruiting when we haven't snapped a – a football yet. And
0: that will close the recruiting section of this podcast. Last note. uh, I just thought this stuff's kind of fun. There's a lot of preseason magazines out there. And if you look all across them, uh, I've seen us as high as 29 in Athlon sports. I've seen us as low as 43, according to Phil Steele. And if you look at the composite, we're coming in right around number 35, 36, uh, if you were to put them all together, I tweeted out a link to a website that compiles them, and they have us right about neck and neck with Pitt, finishing third in the ACC Coastal. Uh, they had um, UNC and Miami in that order as one and two. Uh, the magazines do so that's just some fun stuff, and I think you know we doing this podcast are a little bit more bullish because we're we're fans when it really comes right down to it, but I. Don't think. I think we're better than the 40th best team in the country. I really do. I think we'll finish the season out that way. And I guess we'll get to that when we talk about our records towards the end of this podcast. Do you want to do? Uh, would you want to preview our next game, which is Miami first? Or do you want to take a break real quick?
1: Why don't we? Uh, why don't we hop right into it?
0: All right, let's do it. We're going to start with Game Seven, which is Miami. It's on Thursday night in Blacksburg. October 20th, Miami finished last season at eight and five, and they were five and three in the ACC. They're returning 16 starters, 10 on offense, including quarterback Brad Kaya, and only six starters on defense. Athlon has them at number 27, Phil Steele has them at 19th, and uh, you know, they, they've got a lot of potential. Mark Rick is the new head coach, and that's really the big storyline. He's also going to be taking over the offensive coordinator duties uh, for the first time since 07 when I think he did it back with Georgia. So it's going to be really interesting for Miami this year. They've consistently underachieved with with their talent uh, uh, under Al Golden, at least I think most people would say that. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see if Mark Richt can get more out of that talent than Golden was.
1: If you haven't heard, Mark Richt is returning to his alma mater, which has become the running, <laughs> the running joke of you know the the off season and what's about to you know become uh, preseason. It and you know, I, hats off to him. They they got back a guy that one is I thought was a really good coach, and I I really thought that he 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 shouldn't have been let go. And then two, he's heading back to a place that. Um, He obviously has a lot of ties into, I think he's going to be wildly successful there. That's just my guess with the talent that they have, especially since he's been chomping at the bit to kind of, you know, take, get back into, you know, the offensive coordinator role to get back into actual, you know, scheming versus, you know, head coaching, which uh, involves a lot of other things. Um, He's going to have a lot on his plate, quite honestly. I think this game, to get into it, is going to get a ton of attention. Um, Assuming that the season starts off the way that we think it is going to for both teams, um, it's a Thursday night game. It's in Blacksburg. You have two brand-new coaches, Mark Rick, Justin Fuente. I think it's going to be pretty amazing and a lot of energy there. It looks like Miami will be coming in. My guess, if they perform the way they should, and with Brad Kaya, I think they will. With one loss at FSU, who is, you know, that team is stacked, potentially two, depending on what happens the week before at UNC. I actually hope that they beat UNC uh, coming into Blacksburg. I don't want them coming off of a rebound, but in any case, this could be a top 25 team coming into Blacksburg uh, at this stage in the season. And both teams will be coming off a short week because it's a Thursday night game. Ours will be coming off of Syracuse, um, which is, I think, a little bit more beneficial for us, uh, even though the Carrier Dome has always had its own fun. So I think it's going to be a very interesting matchup.
0: Yeah, you know, there's a couple of schools of thoughts on Rick and that he was never able to break through with Georgia. And the other side of it is he was so close against Alabama in that SEC championship game a few years ago and they lost like right at the end. And if he had won, that's the year Alabama decimated Notre Dame. And so if they win that game versus Bama, they're probably national champs and he is still at Georgia. It's, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what he can do. And he's so lucky to have Brad Kaya. I mean, Kaya's numbers aren't really overwhelming. You know, 3,000 yards-ish, uh, 61% completion, 16 TDs, 5 picks. But he's pretty much the second best quarterback in the ACC behind Watson. And I was looking at Sports Illustrated. Uh, they have him uh, projected as the number one pick in the 2017 NFL draft right now. And uh, over Watson, I, I just, I'm kind of blown away. I know he's a very, very good quarterback and um, maybe not getting the best coaching without Golden. But uh, I don't want to say Kai is overhyped because he is really, really good. But Rick is lucky to have him as well. It's uh, to me, it's more about these running backs that they have.
1: Yeah, I agree. And and just to finish up the thought on Brad Kaya, and I'll I'll jump ahead a little bit, which we'll hit in a second. Is he put up those stats against in a ab- with a an abysmal offensive line? Their offensive line was terrible. So that's another thing to keep in mind. You know, those are pretty good stats when when you're struggling that bad. Um, at At the o line position, but you're right on on the running back position, Duke Johnson is gone. Thank goodness, uh, obviously we don't want to rehash the damage that he's uh he's done to a lot of teams, including the Hokies, but behind him, you have Joseph yearby, who we talked about remember back at uh the preview from last year. We thought that yearby could be something kind of special. he didn't do a whole lot last year um, he's now a junior. He had a great 2014 season, but kind of less than anticipated last year. Uh, his first four games were 100-plus yards, and we thought we were right in our preview after we talked about it. Um, and then he didn't hit 1,000 yards until the bowl game. So things fell off uh, pretty dramatically there. And then he has two guys behind him in Gus Edwards, um, and who went out last August, was also going to be fighting for some playing time. Um, and then Mark Walton, who's the sophomore there, their running back position I think is is pretty deep. Yeah, I think
0: you're being a little too hard on Yerby in the fact that he did still have 1,000 yards despite Mark Walton kind of coming out of nowhere and, and running for nearly 500. Um, he didn't have the average that Yerby did either with Yerby hitting 4.9 yards per carry. Um, And Yerby's also kind of a threat out of the backfield. You know, 23 receptions, 273 yards. So I still like him a lot, and it it is – I do understand the fact that 13 games, 1,000 yards, it's not overly impressive. But college football, that's still a benchmark, and Yerby hit it. Uh, I'll be interested to see what Gus Edwards can do now that he's back, and you mentioned him. Last year, we struggled to cover their wideouts. It was brutal, and they had – the biggest set of wide receivers, so athletic, it was it was daunting to see them on the field. They lost uh, Waters, and they lost Scott to the NFL, but they still have Stacey Coley, <clears throat> and he probably could have left if he wanted to. Uh, maybe his size kept him from that. He's 6'1", 187. But he had almost 700 yards last year and four touchdowns.
1: And that was <clears throat> only on eight starts. So, I mean, that's pretty impressive. That was only eight starts that he had there, so... Yeah,
0: true. Yeah, and he's—he's. He's, I mean, I'm saying he's—he's he's mega talented. He—he he might have been able to leave. I'm not sure if he would have been drafted or not. But another guy to watch from the wide receiving core is Lawrence Cager, and that's someone that Aaron Moorhead was going after when he was with us. Uh, he's six five, two fifteen, only a sophomore. He had a couple, couple uh, plays last year, but he was a stud recruit, and I think he could have a big breakout year for the Hurricanes. Um, So between Coley and him and their tight end, David, I'm going to mess this up. Good luck. No coup? Yeah, no coup. I'm just going to go with that. 360 yards, one TD as a true freshman last year, and they have a a couple other good tight ends. Miami always seems to have good tight end talent. They've got weapons offensively to Kaya to work with. If that offensive line, which – only gave them the 117th ranked rush offense last year could improve to make some space for those running backs and protect him. They could be very dangerous on offense. Uh, I, the offensive line is weird because uh, Phil Steele ranked their offensive line is the 16th best uh, in terms of returning starts coming back. But in the spring they gave up a ton of sacks. So it's. I don't really know what to expect from this offensive line. I'm not sure anyone does.
1: They return. It says, yeah, it's supposed to be four starters, give or take. I think there's going to be some improvement there on the offensive line. Any improvement it would be good because Brad Kaya almost had his head ripped off about 30 times uh, last year. He spent more time on his – well, we're not going to go there uh, – on his back than um, he – I think they'll have some improvement there and even marginal improvement with their running backs should be good. I think their offense is going to be pretty potent. I don't think it's indefensible, but I think it's, I think it's going to be pretty strong with the talent they have coming back. And the interesting part at wide receiver is Rick keeps saying, and he said it all off season is that they lack this, you know, the top end speed talent. Uh, So I think we may see some freshmen taking the field uh, for Miami on that side of the ball just to get some speed out there it's kind of an interesting take that he keeps harping on maybe he's just positioning and trying to play it down but he keeps talking about how they you know they don't have they don't have a lot of speed out there right now so we might see some young guys come up that uh you know names you haven't heard before
0: all right let's move over to the defense uh, they got a new defensive coordinator Manny Diaz and he's probably most infamous from his early firing at Texas a couple years ago when they really started to go down the Down the crapper. And then uh, he's bringing in a 4-3 defense. Uh, They were a 3-4 before that with Golden. And they've got a couple solid defensive linemen in uh, al Qadin Muhammad. He has definitely some NFL potential as well as defensive end Chad Thomas. Uh, Cortell Jenkins at defensive tackles, solid player. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what that defensive line does. They brought in the Missouri defensive line coach. And if you looked at what Missouri's put in the draft over the last couple years, you know they've always had solid defensive lines. So I think that's a really good hire. And that's probably going to be their their strongest position on the defense. Uh, At linebacker, they've got Jermaine Grace. I don't know if you saw any other guys. I think they need some guys to step up there.
1: I think the most – it's actually interesting. Manny Diaz's name during the coaching kind of uh, you know carousel when people were trying to figure out who's going to end up at Miami, uh, Manny Diaz's name came up as a head coach at Miami. He he is the current defensive coordinator there. Obviously, he got hired into there. He was a um, yeah you know, politician in in Miami. He served as mayor in Miami. Um, he was a you know he came from Cuba originally but he has a lot of ties to that area including the school Um, and a lot of people were saying that because my Miami is strapped on cash that he might be you know a candidate as almost a bridge candidate to come in as head coach and then he comes in um, at at this position so I think I think that's actually an interesting storyline obviously if you're ready to be a you know head 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 coach and most people think that you you have the talent there then you know that's that's kind of interesting the the backfield for their miami was decent last year but they lost a couple starters i think that Rashad jenkins you know core elder at cornerback are names to watch um that we might have to deal with um other than that i i don't see this defense as something you know that that really concerns me not nearly as much as the offense um so i agree with your assessment i think um i think that could dictate a lot of games this year for them
0: the one thing about the defense and manny diaz also is that it's going to be aggressive now i i also think the offense will be ahead of their defense but they will be aggressive he likes to blitz uh so we'll see pressure and yeah. i don 't know it 's not something something about miami it 's like historically they 've always they 're aggressive offensively and defensively, and that 's something they 've been missing. maybe Diaz brings that back, yeah, could, on the defensive side of the ball, yeah,
1: they were under a three four under golden rule as i 'm going to call it right. from this point forward, uh and now they 're moving back to a four three so I would you know I would suspect. That we'll see a little bit more pressure up on the line, and it'll it'll probably be something more accustomed to what you think of when you see a Miami defense than than you would you know when when Al Golden was there. In
0: terms of the game with us, I see some potential because of that weaker back end of their defense. You did mention Corn Elder, and he's a solid corner, but. There's going to be some potential for some big plays, especially starting maybe 5 to 15 yards past the line of scrimmage, and that's where Fuentes, get it to the receivers in space, offense likes to work. I think we could have some really big plays there. Uh, I see a potential for a little bit of a shootout in this one. Uh, It could be a really fun game. I don't know what to make. We're at home on Thursday night, and the last time that happened, we talked about it before, it was ugly, ugly, ugly. That was the Duke Johnson game. Do you want me to go do you um, want me to go first? So, I had this
1: <laughs> I had this as a. this is where things are going to change for me. I had this as a loss as digging digging in deeper. It's the 7th game on the schedule. It's a home game. It's going to be a lot of excitement with Fuente and Rick out there. We all, I think Miami's going to come into this game as a top 25 team, quite honestly. And I'm predicting it now as an upset of a top 25 team uh, in Miami. You know they're weakest at really what I think of, assuming that we can figure out quarterback at our strongest position, which is um, really our pat you know our offense versus their defense, I think can do a lot. I think Fuente's offensive scheme could cause a lot of damage for them. It's going to be a shootout. I 100% agree with that. So I think with, you know, six games under his belt, I think Fuente is going to put together, if if not, it may not be humming by this point, but a functional offense. Uh, and I think Bud Foster can put something together to get this win, which will be an important one, given how much, um, you know, how much, you know, viewership it's going to get to, to take us, you know, to, to a win here. That would put us on my record at five at two. Yeah, I I'd like to
0: call it a win. Thursday night at home at that point the offense will have sunk in for some of our like our offensive players that are getting used to Fuentes' system. I it's just really tough after that last one we saw, but I'd like to call it a win at this point. Miami is A favorite to win the Coastal. They might not be number one according to a lot of the magazines, but I think in Vegas they are number one in terms of the odds to win the Coastal. People really like this Mark Richt fit with Brad Kaya. Uh, I think the defense has a lot of question marks, and I think we'll be able to score on them. And at home, I'll take us, and I'll call it a win for right now. Let's move on to Pitt. Unless you have any final words, let's move on I agree. All right. this one, as I dug deeper and deeper into Pitt, I got more and more scared. And that makes two of us I'm always, <laughs> I'm always scared against Pitt, but I'm telling you this season, they might they might really be pretty good. They were eight and five last year, six and two in the ACC. they've returned 15 starters, and Athlon has them as the 38th ranked team. Phil Steele has them as the 35th ranked team. This game is also on Thursday night, but it's at Heinz Field, a place where the Hokies have never won. In fact, we haven't won in Pittsburgh since Michael Vick was on the team in 1999. So not that we've played them every other year, but we've played them a bunch, and we haven't won in Pitt in, in quite some time. They won eight games last year, and that was the first time since 2010 they won that many games. And their losses, if you look at their losses, it was Iowa, UNC, Notre Dame, navy all four of those teams are ranked in the top 25 at the end of the year yep and miami which was the only questionable loss and miami was obviously a pretty okay team uh that was 52 wins combined from those five team five teams they've lost to and like i said four were in the top 25 Pitt was a good team last year they lost to a bunch of good teams but they themselves were good and you you called it earlier in the year when you watched that Pitt-Iowa game and you're like, I was damn good because Pitt and them like went back and forth and that game came down to a field goal.
1: I think we – yeah. Well, let's not preview it too much, but we could be in big trouble in this game. So I think – to take a step back, I think Pitt – And, you know, potentially Virginia Tech are why people are overlooking. Everybody's kind of high on Miami all of a sudden. You know, people are going to be high on UNC because of what they they did last year. I think you could have four teams in the Coastal that are performing very, very well um, and could see some serious upsets against other teams this year. And Pitt, which people are... You know, they're kind of. Most people are putting us and Pitt in kind of the same range. You know, up or down a little bit, and Pitt's returning a lot. The question, you know, we all are going to have is James Conner. Which shout out to him for everything. You know, he's been through and what he's returning with. I think the most important thing that he's returning with is that MCL injury, and if that's going to be okay. But I think, you know, this game, it could be, it could be a, a battle. So let's get into it.
0: Yeah. And, and you're right. Well, I'll start with James Conner since you just mentioned him. That is the biggest story surrounding Pitt. I mean, Narduzzi's a big story, new offensive coordinator, kind of high expectations, higher expectations than Pitt's had in quite a while um, since the middle of the Dave Wanstat days. But James Conner not only recovering from the MCL, but recovering from Hodgkin's lymphoma uh, is an amazing story. You're talking about the 2014 ACC Player of the Year when he had 1,765 yards, almost six yards a carry. He he was a beast. He he is a beast. The fact that – and I've been watching. I'm sure you've seen him. There's been a bunch of stories and podcasts on him as well as highlights of him practicing in spring practice with you know uh, a mask on his face because he's going through chemo treatments and his immune system is more susceptible. It's just amazing. And I don't know about you, but from what I've seen, it doesn't really look like he's – lost too much of a step. Now, if you went through chemo and you have an MCL, like I feel like that's would be impossible not to lose a step, but the guy looks ready to play again.
1: And behind him is Quadri Olsen, who we all remember from last year who had 1,100 yards and 11 TDs. So I, I, even if he's not ready to go, he has somebody there when he's winded to, to back him up. That's a strong, you know, a very strong running back. So that that position frightens me a lot and if james conner comes back to his old form the way that you know we would all suspect the way that he just punched cancer in the mouth uh that's yeah, we that's going to be a tough position to defend against
0: yeah and just to finish that thought you know he's he's cancer free and he's sharing his story and it, it is one of the best stories in college football it will be one of the best stories in college football going forward and it's awesome. And um, regardless of, I don't want him to play well against us, but I, I'm I'm pretty much hoping he has an awesome comeback season. Let's talk about their quarterback, Nate Peterman. He took over for Voitik, who transferred. So the only quarterback we'll be dealing this year is Peterman, who's six two, two twenty five. He's a transfer from uh, Tennessee, and he had twenty three hundred yards last year, completed sixty one and a half percent of his passes 20 touchdowns eight picks pretty solid rating and he can run a little bit too uh i don't know what to make of peterson exactly he was obviously had the strength of a good defense and a really good receiver in tyler boyd who is no longer there and that cannot be overstated boyd was a beast and i think he's with the Bengals now uh he has a few less weapons to deal with um I'm not sure which one will be the best. Maybe you can shed some light on it for me, but Peterman is a, he he seems like a pretty okay quarterback. I just I oh, I think he might be just as good as Tyler Boyd was making him though. Yeah,
1: I I agree with that. I think he's he's good, right? He's he's not great and he's he's not as good as a lot of the quarterbacks that we've, you know, kind of talked about on this list. So I think he's good, but you have Connor coming up behind him. Um, I think you have Olsen, you know, behind him. I think, you know, Tyler Boyd was just a monster. I mean, that guy was, you know, so good. He was so productive. We knew what we were going up against when we played them last year. And he still, he didn't rip us apart, but you know, he still was productive. So I think Tyler Boyd meant a lot to his success, I think this. I think this QB position goes the way that the running back goes. If if their running back talent is as strong as I think it's going to be, it's going to open up a lot for him. Uh, so for me, it's TBD. I didn't have much to say about him last year. I don't really have much to say about him this year. In that, you know, he protected the football. He only he had eight interceptions, not great, but he had twenty TDs. He can scramble a little bit on the ground, but he's he's kind of a taller guy. And I think it's it's something that we need to protect against, given how susceptible we've looked against running quarterbacks. I mean, he we didn't go into that game last year thinking that he was going to have any yards on the ground. And he he had a few. So I think that's something that we just need to watch out for.
0: Yeah, the the running the running game uh thing you pointed out is true they have eight of their top 10 offensive linemen back as well as the two guys we've already mentioned a running back so they're going to be able to move the ball on the ground they've got dante Dantes, or dante ford at wide receiver he was kind of a big play guy last year had 500 yards and only two touchdowns but had a nice average and then their tight end scott orndoff you know he had five touchdowns definitely a red zone threat and if that running game is opening it up, it's going to make it a lot easier on Peterman and that passing game. They, I think their their offense will be good, but it's going to be a ground
1: based offense. That's a hundred percent right. They also lost J.P. Holtz, which is their tight end, who was a pretty productive guy. So I, I'm not worried about their pass game unless their run game is hum, humming on all cylinders, and then that's going to open things up a lot, even for halfway decent QB play and halfway decent you know wide receiver play.
0: I haven't decided if this is an advantage or a disadvantage, but their new offensive coordinator, Matt Canada, is from NC State, a team we beat and maybe had our best defensive game against, one of the best defensive performances over the night against uh, their quarterback, who I'm blanking on the name right now. And just overall, it was was a very good game by Tech. So that's going to be interesting. I don't know if that will be an advantage or a disadvantage for Pitt, but they do have a new offensive coordinator. Moving on to the defense – I can't start without mentioning last year's performance Pitt put on in Blacksburg, which was our lowest output of the season, 100 yards of offense, 100 even, and they had seven sacks on Brendan Motley. It was a brutal day. It poured down rain before the game and most of the first quarter. It was just an ugly, ugly day for the Hokies, and we lost 17-13. to but their defense was the key to that game, and and the key to that defense is their head coach Pat Narduzzi. Right, that's, he like Manny Diaz is aggressive.
1: That's I mean they have, you know, I'm, I, I, it's hard to compare the two, but they have Bud Foster as their head coach, right? Their defensive scheme is always going to be strong. That's why he got brought in. Hey that's going to be always going to be a problem regardless of what you see in talent whether you see two stars, three stars, four stars, returning starters, they're always going to put together a scheme that's tough.
0: They were 16th in sacks per game last year,
1: no doubt helped out by the seven they
0: got on us. But their best player on defense is probably sophomore Jordan Whitehead. He's their strong safety. He had 108 tackles last year, 74 solo tackles, which is a crazy amount. And he was ACC defensive rookie of the year. They also had the ACC offensive rookie of the year in Olison, who you mentioned earlier. Uh, they don't they don't send him after the quarterback that much, but I would liken him to Jeremy Cash. And he he rushes the quarterback a little bit more, but if you remember Jeremy Cash from Duke, that's kind of what Whitehead is like. He's all over the map. They'll play him at different positions, use him in different ways. He's a very dynamic player. Uh, as far as their front seven, what do you see? Anything that stands out to you?
1: I, you know, I think I'm more, yeah, you know, on the line. They have the 6 year senior, John Price, who's coming back. Who I think is a defense. Yeah, he's probably going to be a difference maker, a defensive end. They lose a pair of their defensive tackles, which is going to be a problem. Um, but overall, you know, I think they're gonna be halfway decent on, on the on the front seven at linebacker. I think that's gonna be another decent position for them. They lose Grisby who is a monster and we previewed last year going into um, into the season previews and into that game. He put in like a, a show against Navy in the military bowl and just destroyed people. And I think they get you know, senior Matt Galombagos He's a back that's really the leader. He's kind of the core of this whole defensive unit. He's coming back. He was kind of the core last year as well, um, but was a little bit overshadowed, uh, I think, by Grisby. I think that their you know their front seven should be good, but I don't see anything in here that really kind of scares me other than Narduzzi's scheme, quite honestly.
0: Yeah, I want to mention uh, Avante Maddox in the back. Uh, He plays DB, and he had three interceptions last year, including a pick six. Uh, They need to improve overall in the back end, create more turnovers. They were 97th nationally in turnovers. So those DBs and and just forcing fumbles and stuff, they're going to have to step their game up. Special teams-wise... They've got a solid kicker and punter. They still have Chris Blewett, which is probably the worst possible name for a kicker I've ever heard. Uh, and they have some somewhat dangerous return men.
1: Overall, they've got a tough schedule. Did you get a chance to look at their schedule? I looked at it a little bit. I, I the only thing I was looking at more recent, which is this is the you know second Thursday night in a game in a row for us, which is you know kind of uh, interesting. I think it's going to be a knife fight. I think it's in Heinz Field, Narduzzi entering his second year. I mean, that's one thing that we all need to keep in mind is, you know, this is not a veteran coach at this school, that this is kind of, you know, interesting. I think, you know, the the biggest point of this game is that they're going to be selling beer at at, at at Heinz Field this year. And, um, you know, I think they'll have a middle-of-the-pack defense. I think Narduzzi swings this game, and I think Pitt takes us down. Honestly, um, as sad as this is to say, uh, third, our third time in a row, I think they're going to win again. Just given what Narduzzi can do and their running back talent.
0: Well, I'll say this: uh, just referencing what I, uh, the schedule. They play Penn State, they play at Oklahoma State, they play at UNC, they play at Clemson, and at Miami. In addition to playing the Virginia Tech Hokies, but they get them at Heinz Field. That's a tough schedule, and a handful of those games are before we play them. They could be a little worn down, but overall I'll say they will be good running the football and defending the run. And uh, dare I say they may even be elite at both. Uh, I think... Without help from the passing game, we'll be able to stack the box against them. It really depends on how good Peterson is. But they'll be susceptible to big plays downfield, something that if we get good quarterback play from Evans and or Motley, uh, Isaiah Ford could have a really good game against them. Peterson's really the key for them in terms of having a great season or just an okay one because they're going to be able to run the football. If they can pass the football too – and they beat Oklahoma state and they beat UNC and they beat maybe Clemson on the road. Like this could be an amazing season for them.
1: Welcome to the ACC coastal, because guess what? We have four teams vying for the, uh, for the spot to go um, into the ACC championship. That's exactly, we're done now with all the kind of top four ACC teams and, everybody has a question mark and it just depends on, you know, what ends up showing up on game day. So, you know, if anybody was looking for kind of a runaway ACC coastal championship, so we stopped getting shit on by, uh, you know, the national media, you're not getting it. But I will say I think each one of these four teams in UNC, you know, us, Miami, and now Pitt can, could do a lot of damage to some other teams.
0: Yeah, and I want to I want to talk a little bit more about the coastal race right at the end of the pod, and uh, because I have I have I those, you're absolutely right, but I want to uh, want to insert maybe another team just to just to have some fun with it. But let's take a beer break before we come back with Duke.